standards are are technically extensible and they're changeable. However, these changes they have to happen through consensus. Otherwise, the changes don't really get adopted at scale and they don't actually happen. Welcome to Podland, the last word in podcasting news. It's Thursday, the 14th of July, 2022. I'm James Cridland, the editor of Pod News. And I'm Sav Sethi, the MD of River Radio, the podcast first radio station. Hi, this is Mitch Downey, and I'll be on later to talk about Podverse. And I am Michael Magnano, and later I'll be talking about the standards innovation paradox. They will. Podland is sponsored by Buzzsprout, podcast hosting made easy. Last week, 3,157 people started a podcast with Buzzsprout. Now there's Buzzsprout ads to grow your podcast wherever it's hosted. And we're sponsored by Squadcast, the remote recording tool that creators love. Squadcast has just launched version 5 with new features and a new look, and we're using it right now. Podland is where James and I review this week's top podcasting stories covered on Pod News. Podland supports both transcripts and chapters, but if your app doesn't, grab a new podcast app from podnews.net forward slash new podcast apps. Yes, and you'll also find all the links to the stories in our show notes and previous uh, shows and interviews at podland.news and daily podcast news at podnews.net. Okay, so the story we're going to start off with, James, is about standards innovation paradox. It seems it's the story that's going around everywhere today. Um, Michael Magnano, who's just left uh, Spotify, the former founder of Anchor, has written a piece about what he calls the standards innovation paradox. A good piece, but you had the chance to talk to him. I did, yeah. I, th- I thought it was a good read. And um, I think we'll dive into what we think in a bit. But first, uh, I caught up with Michael Mignano earlier today, and I asked him to explain the idea. So the standards innovation paradox is this dynamic that takes place when standards on the internet are adopted at scale. Basically, uh, what, what I've sort of observed is that, first of all, standards are awesome. They serve as a common language for software and hardware and and products that um, are basically built by different stakeholders to communicate uh, through a common language without having to reinvent the wheel every time. And so through this common language, it, it drastically reduces the barrier to entry for products that want to interface with an ecosystem that adopts these standards. Uh, this is great because it ultimately leads to lots of products and services for consumers, which leads to choice, oftentimes data portability, and lots of other benefits. Um, Many of the internet's greatest inventions, I would argue, would not be possible without standards, right? Things like HTTP and SMTP and web browsing, et cetera. Um, What happens though, is these, these standards, when they're successful, they get adopted at scale and it makes it really hard for them to be changed because the stakeholders that have all adopted the standards at scale oftentimes have different interests from one another. And I should mention, I didn't mention this up front, standards are are technically extensible and they're changeable. However, these changes, they have to happen through consensus. Otherwise, the changes don't really get adopted at scale and they don't actually happen. So, so this paradox that I talk about is, is this dynamic that plays out at scale when a standard breaks through and it gains massive adoption, it then, it then becomes very, very hard to change and the market that it effectively powers stagnates in terms of innovation 
because nobody can come to an agreement about what the standard, what the changes to the standards should be at scale. That's the standards innovation paradox. Yeah, and it's a great article. It's a very persuasive um, article. And uh, so essentially you're saying that standards help you start, but they quickly become constraining when you want to push at the boundaries of something. You, you, you give a good example of uh, Substack in there. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happens. I mean, you know, Substack is, as you mentioned, uh, a, a newsletter product. It enables creators to mm. build, host, and scale newsletters that get delivered to readers over email, which is brilliant, right? Because the standard of SMTP has has reached scale. It's adopted by literally billions of people. And so you can reach billions of people if you build a product based on SMTP. The challenge is, however, you can only do as much as the standard of SMTP allows. Otherwise, you either have to change the standard, which again, incredibly hard, or you have to break the standard in which case you lose the benefits of the standard. So uh, Substack did something recently that, uh, you know, in, in the context of this paradox, I, I thought was smart, but not necessarily surprising, which is they launched an app. You know, Substack has, has built its business off of delivery of newsletters through email, but now they have an app, which they are, you know, they, it, it seems clear to me that they're trying to drive readers and creators to the app, which makes sense because they can do a lot more in the app, right? They can do rich, dynamic things in the emails uh, that they probably can't do in in a standard email client. But the downside to all this is is the paradox. They now lose the ability to reach literally billions of people where they're already reading email every day. And so they're faced with this challenge. Mm. And uh, Dropbox is probably another example here as well, I guess, of, of something where, you know, FTP uh, and R-Sync and those sorts of things are, are fine and they're great standards and great technology, but actually Dropbox, um, you know, has piled a ton more features onto that. Exactly. Dropbox has all sorts of interesting and unique and, and very valuable and, and free features, I would say, for consumers. Of course, all, you know, all of these things come with trade-offs, right? So. I use Dropbox, hmm. maybe you use Dropbox, I use Google Drive, et cetera, but you know, now all my files are, are in the hands of one single entity, which I don't think will go away, but could go away someday, right? And, and now I don't have access to my files anymore. So the paradox doesn't just affect companies and the products and the teams that are building these products, but they, they ultimately affect the end users as well. Uh, so it's this really fascinating dynamic. Um, that I've, I've just thought a lot about over the years because uh, I experienced it firsthand building Anchor uh, podcasts, which are based on RSS, another standard, uh, are also a victim of this paradox in, in, in many ways. And so, uh, yeah, it's a topic that I've thought a lot about. I'm really interested in it. And I thought I would write this piece about it. Yeah, and I'm glad you read it. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was it was really interesting. And I think, uh, I mean, my my, my co-host Sam Sethi read your piece, and um, he used to work in the past for Mozilla, uh, and he said mm. this is exactly what Microsoft used to say about browser innovation. Um, mm. But now, of course, working together, standards are now allowing multiple browsers to coexist. And he go, goes on to say, I expect Spotify don't want others to exist. Now, you don't work for Spotify anymore. You're investing into a ton of different companies. But are there business benefits to not follow standards? I think it, I think it depends. And I think it's extremely case by case. You know, I think with, with Mozilla, obviously, I've never worked for Mozilla. I've never worked for Google um, Chrome or anything like that. I think in many mm. ways, 
it probably benefits those businesses to leverage the standards of HTTP, let's say, because it enables them to ingest all of the world's internet content right into their browsers. But yeah. there are probably also times where those companies, again, this is, all, this is me just speculating, there are probably times when mm. those companies are saying to themselves, well, wouldn't it be great if we could do X? Well, we can't do X unless we build it proprietary in our own ecosystem. And so, you know, Chrome mm. is an example. Um, I haven't used Mozilla in a while, but I'm sure they, they have similar features. Chrome has a plugin store and Chrome has, you know, secure password storage and all of these things that don't interact with the standard of HTTP. And so um, I, I, think, uh, I think it's totally case by case based on what the business is trying to achieve and probably also the point of maturity uh, of which the business is at, right? I imagine early stage businesses, mm. I'll just use Anchor as an example, it was a great it was a great thing for us to to tap into the power of RSS in the early days of Anchor back in yeah. 2018. But but actually on, on Anchor you actually launched Anchor with a closed standard. I mean the original product was all around having conversations with That's others right. using using audio. <laughs> I used to yep. show it off as being the future of radio. Um, <laughs> it just goes to show how much I know. Uh, and it was a great product. But then you pivoted to open RSS and podcasting. When you left, Anchor was the biggest podcast host by far. Three times times bigger than their closest competitor. Didn't standards actually make that product? Absolutely. Yeah, standards are what enabled us to distribute podcasts on behalf of creators far and wide and enable creators to get heard in places like Spotify, like Apple Podcasts. And that's why Anchor, you know, from the beginning when we made that pivot to your point has has supported RSS and and although I don't work at Spotify anymore, uh, I do know that they still support RSS because it's critically important. Yeah to have broad distribution for creators. And so, you know, I get to this in the piece, but I actually think it's possible to do both. You know, we talked about Mozilla and Chrome, and I think those are great examples of doing both. I imagine Substack won't eliminate the ability to read newsletters in email. I think Substack will ultimately probably have a better experience in their app, but it won't come at the expense of the standardized version, which is the email version. And this is actually, I, I think a great example of this having been pulled off really well is, is probably iMessage, right? So iMessage uh, is Apple's text messaging product, or at least that's how it, I would say it yeah. started, right? And the funny thing about iMessage is it didn't win as a messaging client because it was the best messaging client. It won because it basically piggybacked off of a really successful smartphone. And by having it just baked into a smartphone that had millions and millions of millions of people adopting it, they were able to distribute, at the time, what was kind of a commoditized product, right? I mean, a, a text messaging app is about the most commoditized thing yeah. you can have because it is based on the standard. But as we know, iMessage now also has all of these super rich features, right? It's got disappearing voice memos and rich support for groups and all these photo features and all these fun things. But if you text message someone on Android, what happens? Everyone knows it turns green because it's falling mm. back to the standard. And so I, I guess uh, that's a long-winded way of saying, I think it's possible to do <laughs> both. And I think that is the best outcome for products yeah. and consumers. But I think also I think also iMessage is deliberately marking people as having Android phones the, with, with the green message. 
um, for uh, FOMO, because they want to. Could, yeah, because they want to show that you know it's it's a you know uh, it, they're, they're lesser people and, and they don't <laughs> have the same functions as you do, and all of that. And I wonder, uh, you know, I mean, again, you know, the EU is very uh, against um, iMessage and is uh, having conversations with Apple at the moment about wanting to open that, and that's a classic case. I would say of product lock-in. Um, it's uh, it's uh, Apple who could have opened iMessage to be a standard um, for people using Android, but deliberately didn't because they know that that is one reason that people buy uh, Apple phones rather than Android phones. And I wonder whether I wonder whether you know th- the essay that you wrote is essentially. Um, trying to build in product lock-in rather than a conversation around around standards. Well, again, uh, the the pro- the article that I wrote is actually uh, suggesting. In the end, I basically offer two solutions to this paradox. One thing is again, you mm. can't you can't compete on the standard because at at scale, all products that adopt standards will eventually look roughly the same because there's effectively a ceiling unless you can get the standard to change, as we discussed, which is very, very hard due to consensus. Um, so so that's, that's one suggestion. And then the second suggestion, like I said, is actually interoperability with the standard. Standards are great, right? Because again, they offer consumers choice and they also enable users to move to different products, ideally without losing access to their data. And so what I think the solution uh, to, to this problem is, is, is actually not to lock in, it's actually to maintain uh, interoperability with the standard. That, that, that's my suggestion. Now, it's hard to do these things. That's why it's a paradox. There's a tension there, right? Yeah. Uh, that's why these markets often stagnate. Um, but the best teams ultimately find a way to do both, I think, based on those two, those two factors I mentioned in the end of the article. Yeah, so how do we fix that? There's there's clearly a problem with the mechanism around standard setting. And I, I come from broadcast radio, and I'll tell you, if you want conversations around standards, I, I can <laughs> bore you for many, many years on that. Uh, I mean, we remember in, in the podcasting world, we remember the long, slow standards process for IAB, for, you know, podcast plays and listens. But I've also seen, on the other side, the folks at the Podcast Index I- innovating really fast, um, moving very fast, possibly breaking a few things but working on a bunch of different standards for their namespace. Is there anything that standards organizations can do to, um, to slow down this, um, you know, the frustration that you clearly feel in terms of uh, moving uh, standards on? You know, I, I, so I haven't spent too much time in, uh, checking out the podcast index. I've read a little bit about it, and I, I was tweeting uh, back and forth with them today. And you know, I'm, I'm supportive of what they're doing, and I and I hope uh, I hope it gains traction. It sounds like it is gaining traction. Um, the the hmm. thing, the tricky thing I see, it would be it would be really good if if uh, you know if a thirty percent market share company. Do you know anybody at Apple? <laughs> I do actually. Um, no, uh, all kidding aside. I mean, I think, but I I think something like the podcast index highlights what I think uh, the challenge is. Right, so. The podcast index or any, I'm just using them as an example. I actually, again, I don't know mm-hmm. much about it, but um, if there's a product or an entity or a, um, that wants to make a bunch of changes to a standard, that's great. But consumers ultimately don't feel the benefits of those changes unless this huge swath of stakeholders adopt 
adopt the changes and basically update the standard. Now, uh, credit to Podcast Index, I was, I was like I said, I was chatting with them earlier, and it sounds like that's not actually their goal. Uh, they just want this thing to freely exist in an open market and let the, the market sort it out. Um, but but the reality is is that unless all of the stakeholders of a standard agree to do this thing, or at least a critical mass of them, the end users of a certain standard will never feel the changes, and that's unfortunate. Um, so back to your back to your question. I mean, I think I think the best way to probably handle this is to make changes. If you're if you're a team or you're a product that believes in a change to a standard, it's probably to go ahead and break the standard and make the change, but again, while maintaining backwards compatibility. That way you won't alienate your users, and then the market can decide for itself if this change to the standard is great and worthy of being integrated across the entire ecosystem. That's probably the way to do it because I agree standards bodies are great, but again, to, to your point about in radio, they're just slow. <laughs> they're just really, really slow. And, uh, and I think that's why you end up with, you know, uh, going back to the SMS example, you know, there was there was one major innovation in SMS over like a period of like ten years. Yeah. It took it took ten years to add pictures to text messaging. Yeah, and and in the end, with SMS, of course, you know, Google ended up having to bully uh, most of the uh, mobile phone uh, you know companies to basically go, "We'll do RCS if you won't," um, because we kind right. of have to move on. So yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, one one last question, if you don't mind, sure. uh, what what's sure. next after leaving uh, Spotify? You're clearly uh, active. Your brain is clearly active uh, your bio now says that you are a an investor so you're investing in a ton of different uh, companies what's next for you yeah so uh, right now I'm, I'm taking some time off hanging out with my my family uh, my, my, my daughters my wife uh, which is great because obviously building a company um, and then you know selling it and integration super time-consuming so I'm taking mm. some some much-needed time with the family but yeah, I am. I, I've been angel investing for a couple of years. I really, really enjoy it because um, one of the things I loved most about building Anchor was actually the early days. It was the zero to one type work where you know you have nothing but an idea or a concept or a prototype, and you're thinking and strategizing and moving really quickly to ship impactful products that users love to ultimately get to scale. I love that, and so I've really enjoyed. Um, angel investing in you know a, a bunch of really exciting and promising companies and working closely with those founders to help them figure out that zero to one moment. And so uh, my next role is actually going to be a full-time investing role, which um, I will be announcing in the coming months. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, Mike, yeah. thank you so much for your for your time. You talk about your family. I know that you that, that you have things planned, so I won't keep you. But uh, thank you so much for giving you for giving us your your time today. Thanks, James. This was great. Take care. So that was uh, Michael Mignano earlier today, at least earlier today, my time. I got up very early for that. Uh, what's your take on the standards innovation paradox, Sam? To be fair to Michael, he's not saying anything that isn't uh, fairly true in, in terms of standards get set over a period of time and then they become rock solid and they get very rarely changed. I mean, his examples are for SMTP, HTML, and etc. Yeah, that is true. Um, but obviously, while they're forming, they are very liquid. And it's in that period of liquidity that I think people can, you know, have their input. And it's a shame that companies like Apple and Spotify aren't inputting to the 
RSS extension that's going on right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, in general, I think I, I would agree with what he says. Uh, once you do everything that a standard says you can do, it's really hard to innovate further. And the Dropbox, um, you know, uh, conversation was a really, you know, obvious one there. But I do think that that's where if you're lazy or if you want to lock people into using your product, you, you just basically put lots of proprietary stuff in there and, you know, and that's the way. Um, I think, though, RSS is a bit of an outlier because of namespaces, which essentially allow you to add new tags in a backwards compatible way. So I did a little bit of history and I went back and uh, I've written a long, tedious article in reply, um, which basically points out when you have a look back at, um, uh, you know, the RSS feeds that were written in early 2005, there weren't things like thumbnails in there. There weren't things like categories in there. The people who... Uh, basically took the standard and enhanced it was Apple. And Apple jumped in and said, no, we, we would like uh, thumbnails and we'll have the iTunes uh, namespace, as it's still called, um, and categories and all of that kind of uh, stuff. And so, you know, this is the very thing that Mike says is, is impossible to take a standard and to enhance it. Um, and Apple, you know, obviously innovated that again in 2017, adding, uh, you know, tags like trailers and setting the order of your shows and stuff. And Spotify didn't end up doing that. And I think, you know, if, if you have a look at um, video podcasting, as an example, we'll talk about video podcasting in a, in a little bit, but um, video podcasting, Spotify's actually done a nice thing with video podcasting. They've enabled a thing so that you can switch between video and audio and it's the same file and um, and that's all good uh, and that's probably the way that video podcasting should work so you don't end up uh, having two separate RSS feeds but the way that Spotify decided to do that was throw away RSS do something proprietary that you can only do if you're hosting with Anchor um, and I think that uh, you know Mike's thought pattern there was we have to build it with proprietary tech because we can't evolve the standard. But I reckon, you know, they've got a 30% market share, they probably can evolve that standard. But they, they could have taken the alternate enclosure tag, uh, which exists, they could have molded that to their own use. Or they could have launched a Spotify podcast namespace would have been slightly less optimal. But at the very least, that would have enabled anyone to push video podcasts into Spotify. And perhaps the reason is that they actually don't want that because they just want people locked into using Anchor and or Megaphone. And that's what their business model is. Yeah, I, I like an Apple and Spotify to black holes. They take data in, but they let nothing out. And that's the problem with them. I mean, if you put your data in, even if you use the proprietary elements of Spotify, you couldn't export an RSS feed out of it into another application. It's a dead end. And, and that's the that's the problem. The other thing that I thought was telling was that Mike didn't even have an awareness of the podcast index extension work um, until probably recently. And that's that's more worrying as well, that mm. people who... Maybe until Dave started uh, tweeting him. Yeah, and, and this I've seen so often. You know, my wife used to run MSN and I was asked to go in to talk to some of the um, product marketing people at Microsoft at the time about web 2.0 
they hadn't heard of half the companies that were doing. They didn't know some of this technology that was going on. That they formally mm. really are involved in two things: spreadsheets, KPIs, user numbers, um, and share price. You know, that's probably one of their biggest things that they look at. And you know, at the end of the day, they do become very, very myopic to their own environment. And that's the sad thing about corporates. You very rarely look above the parapet and see around mm. what else is innovating and what's going on. And clearly Spotify are doing that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, I think uh, you can have a look at polls, for example, in podcasting. And Spotify have polls. So you can, you know, get some feedback from your audience. But, um, and I think that they, they will be really easy to do in terms of JSON, uh, a JSON reference in your RSS feed that basically says what the poll questions are, you know, when it closes, where to send the results, blah, blah, blah. I think that would be a really easy namespace extension to write. But of course, what Spotify did is they made it um, that you can only do polls through Anchor. Um, and so Matt Deegan uh, tweeted and basically said, you know, w in order to use polls in podcasting, which they would like to do, they would have had to have moved all of um, the podcasts that he looks after to Anchor. And he doesn't want to do that because he gets a lot of benefit from the podcast host who he's currently with and, you know, advertising and everything else. So, you know, I mean, again, I think if they'd worked on that standard... More people would be using polls. Spotify would be the number one place to be because they would have had that poll stuff built in. Um, and potentially Apple wouldn't and potentially, you know, Pocket Cast wouldn't or any of the other uh, apps, at least at least initially. But Spotify could have actually set that uh, standard. So, you know, but I can also see, you know, on Mike's uh, um, other point coming from broadcast radio, as I said, you know, I think uh, it's it's sometimes very hard to get standards um, uh, changed, but perhaps standards enhanced is a bit of a different conversation. Yeah, well, Adam Curry on Twitter uh, was less than impressed, I think. I think his reaction was, Spotify is the coin of podcasting. <laughs> yes. Thank uh, you, Adam, I mean... for testing the beeper. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I don't think Adam is... Uh, I mean, Adam also said, you know, I, I just laughed and moved on uh, when he saw that, uh, that uh, article. Um, but, you know, uh, and maybe, you know, to be fair, maybe that's one of the reasons why Spotify hasn't engaged too much in Podcast Index, because obviously Adam is not, is not that pro Spotify. And maybe there's a personal you know, issue there as well. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so it's, um, you know, so that's a shame. And it's a shame that Spotify hasn't sort of been a little bit more uh, interested in setting uh, standards. I mean, interestingly, they've just um, piled some money into a fund around open source um, software. So maybe we might see um, a few uh, changes now that there are um, quite a few different uh, names at the top of, uh, of uh, Spotify, but uh, who knows? It's a question I ask of Spotify every time, James, and you might know the answer. Who's in charge of their podcasting strategy? Oh, well, well there we go. Um, uh, I mean, Michael's uh, replacement, and I forget her name, but Michael's replacement will obviously be in charge of the anchor bit, but then, you know, somebody else is in charge of the app. Um, uh, and, and I know this because they, they have a different PR person. So, so therefore, and then somebody else is in charge of the advertising. So I think you make a good point. You know, there is lots of people in charge. But uh, who is overall in charge of that uh, strategy? Maybe it's Daniel. I don't know, you know, uh, or maybe it's somebody else. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's the, mo the most 
telling part when we went to the Spotify party. I had the same question to several Spotify people internally, and most of them couldn't tell me the answer either. You went to a Spotify party? Yeah, yeah. I snuck in. <laughs> they didn't know who I was. Yeah. I wasn't James Critland. <laughs> That'll be it. Journalists weren't invited. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you did, you did well. You did well. Uh, Spotify have made some announcements as well recently, haven't they? Yeah, they're expanding their ability to post video podcasts for creators in six new countries, including Germany, France, Italy, Spain, Brazil and Mexico. Uh, it marks the first time the audio streaming company is making this feature available to non-English speaking countries. So, again... Uh, I assume this is their own proprietary video yep. standard, though. It is indeed, and um, you know, and and uh, yeah, you can you can see that they're busy uh, doing that, and that makes sense. They've also um, uh, signed up Tony and Ryan. Um, now, Tony and Ryan are radio people here in Australia. Ryan is on a breakfast show, I think, for a radio station in Melbourne. May have got that wrong. Not really heard of him, to be honest. Uh, Tony uh, works uh, within radio as well. They've both jacked their jobs in um, to do their podcast full-time. It's a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract, um, and it becomes exclusive on August the 8th. What I think is interesting here is, firstly, they've uh, Spotify basically told Tony and Ryan, you will be doing some video. Um, and I've heard uh, Tony saying that she will be uh, learning how the video, um, you know, video systems work and all of that. So that's going to be very much learning as, as she ends up doing that. Um, but the other thing that I find interesting is that um, these are radio people. They're represented by a radio talent company called March Media, who's uh, run by a guy called Brad March, who looks after quite a few of the very large radio um, hosts here. And in pre Previous emails uh, to me. He's been just really excited about the possibilities of podcasting. I'm sure he's particularly excited about the possibilities now that uh, Spotify have handed him a great big fat check. Um, but uh, interesting seeing that Spotify are signing new people now to do podcasts on their platform. Of course, you know, if March Media wants to sign me and you, I'll give up my radio job and uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll take an exclusive on Spotify every day. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be sell out. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> and Spotify have also bought something else, haven't they? I, I was unaware of this. Yeah, so was I. Um, maybe because I don't do Wordle. But uh, Spotify has bought Hurdle. Um a Wordle-like game that challenges players to guess a popular song. I did go and try it. Um, basically, you've got uh, six goes at trying to guess the song. You know, again, it's... It's, it's a game of beat the intro, isn't it, basically? Yeah, yeah and it's fun, and, yeah. and I can imagine people doing it in groups. And um, but yeah, I can't Tom really... Webster likes that sort of thing. He's, he's, a big fan of, uh, he's a big fan of it. Oh, I did it in three seconds today. <laughs> that, that's not a Tom Webster impersonation. <laughs> Um, yes, it but, was. Uh, yeah, and, and and that that makes perfect sense actually. Spotify buying uh, a, a service like like a hurdle because obviously, if you hear the intro of a song and you go, oh, "What a brilliant song that was!" Then actually, it fits very nicely into Spotify. We'll go and take a listen. So. Um, you know, it, it remains a standalone website for now, they say, but uh, you can imagine that it will be integrated 
uh, into uh, the Spotify app at some point in the future. Yeah, I just can't see how or where. I mean, they're struggling to integrate podcasting and live. Where would you integrate this? Anyway, good luck to whoever's got that job. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Now, uh, last week, uh, while you were away, uh, over here in Blighty... um, I, mm. I had Harry Duran Duran on as co-host and we talked about uh, Podverse, great app that's uh, using the live item tag and they've included video as an option as well, but they've used the standards from the podcast index. So I thought I'd reach out to Mitch Downey, the uh, founder or one of the co-founders and ask him, what is the live item tag? The live item tag is a great way for podcasters to broadcast their live stream to every app simultaneously. So rather than going through exclusive platforms to configure the live stream in all these different platforms, let's say you've got YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, all of these different platforms. Currently, they have to configure those streams and sometimes start and stop them individually. With the live item tag, by distributing live streams through RSS, They only have to share their live stream in one place, and then every app can pick up on it and broadcast it from there. And have you seen a good pickup in people using that tag now? we have exclusively had people use it for audio live streams. In the Podcasting 2.0 community, it's early adopters. There's about 10 podcasts that are currently using it. And they've had good success, as far as I can tell. And in the process... It not only will broadcast the stream, but it'll push a notification to people's phones to let them know that this stream is going live, and they tap that, and it opens right up in Podverse, and they can listen to it from there. Now, obviously, you mentioned audio there, but you've just started to support video as well within Podverse. Podcasting has supported video for a long time. It's just not as widely adopted in podcast apps, but it's there. And especially with live streams, so many live streams today are video, not just audio. So it seemed like a good time to add video support as well. And we have tested live streams with video on our own, but it's been mostly developers just putting on a a video stream and making sure it works. But the infrastructure is there. It's ready to go. Now, is this using the medium tag within the RSS 2.0 extension? It's a combination of the medium tag and existing RSS standards like what the file type is. If it's an MP4, for example, we assume it's video. If it's an MP3, we assume it's audio and play it that way. Now, are you reliant on hosts to support this? Is it host-driven and you as the client exposing that? Is that the key requirement? Well, the requirement is that the live stream information is in the podcaster's RSS feed. So in Podcasting 2.0, people are willing to roll up their sleeves and put it in manually and be our early adopters. But this process can be made much simpler if RSS hosts add it to their interface to start and stop your live stream. Do you know of any hosts that are going to be doing that soon? I have talked to one. I don't know if he wants me to go public with his work because it's not live yet. Okay. Now, when did Podverse start? Oh boy, Uh, like nine years ago. And I was super into the world of podcasting and I found I couldn't share it with other people because they didn't know what I was listening to and what I was talking about. So there weren't really any good clip sharing apps at that time. So set upon this mission to create 
the best clip sharing app we could. Now, over the course of that, we wanted it to be more than just a clip sharing app because in order to do that well, we don't want to have to juggle two different apps, bounce from one to the other. So it kind of organically turned into something much bigger than that, which now we have a whole bunch of features and it's a fully functional podcast app. Given the roadmap of where you're going, we had Oscar Mary on from Fountain last week talking about value for value and paying for people's time and attention. So Fountain are now paying you to listen to podcasts. Where do you sit currently within the whole value for value chain? I know I was talking to Moritz from Olby earlier about your support of value for value, but do you see yourselves going one step further and starting to do what Fountain have done and paying people to listen? No, that wouldn't be in our plans. We're trying to make the best podcast app we can. We will never add advertisements. We'll never sell people's data. It's just not within our scope where we're going to start paying people. But we are en enabled for value for value on our website, as you mentioned, with Albi. Mm -hmm. And it's not just Albi. It's actually a standard called WebLN. And what that means is that the way we share value for value on our website can be compatible with every Bitcoin wallet that follows the WebLN standard. So Albi is blazing the trail and they're leading to adoption of this standard in its open source uh, wallet. We really like it. So it'll work today. What you would do is you'd go to the Podverse website, go to a podcast like Podland, which I believe is value for value enabled. It is, yes. And you will see a form on the podcast page that lets you enter the amount of Bitcoin you want to send. And also, optionally, you could send a message with that. And value for value fits in very well with video live streams because one concept that exists currently is called super chats. This is, if you're familiar with the live streaming world, you've probably heard of super chats. And what they are, messages you pay to send to the podcaster and then it arrives in real time and they can read the message on the show or make it appear on the screen or however they want to interact this week on podlam we've got an interview with mike mignano mike formerly started anchor which was sold to spotify as you probably know mitch and last week left Spotify. I think he may be on what they call gardening leave or the golden handcuffs have been removed, whatever they may be. But he's out of Spotify, right? And the first thing he writes in Medium is a post that says, RSS is great. It's what made Anchor so valuable so quickly, but it's slow, it's proprietary. And if you want to go faster, you've got to go proprietary in a closed system. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't think that's accurate at all. And I think that sort of interpretation is led by these corporate companies that want exclusive rights to podcasts. So what Spotify, for example, would like is that everybody uses Spotify and isn't sharing their podcast broader than that. And it's in their business motivations to do so. Well, with Podverse, we don't have an exclusivity agenda. We want to help support podcasting be as open as possible. And RSS is still, to this day, the best option podcasters have available for that. It is. And I mean, the great work that Dave and Adam have been doing, as you, you said, and some of the stuff that you've been involved in helping as well shape and 
which is the RSS 2.0 extension. So Mike was a little bit naughty not to reference it within his piece. He knows he's going to be well read given what he's done and not to reference it that there is an alternative to the closed proprietary Spotify world, I think was a little bit disingenuous personally. Yeah. And we don't expect these large corporations to talk about the value of RSS feeds and we don't want to wait for permission from them to innovate in these directions. Our goal is to help people reach as many people as possible in the easiest way possible. And RSS is superior to going into all of these individual platforms and maintaining them separately. Look, I'm old enough to remember being in the browser wars when I was at Netscape versus Microsoft and nothing actually stopped either company innovating. And then what happened was the market dictated what was the best of those innovations to build forward into the browsers. And eventually there was a unified standard, HTML5. I look at the likes of Apple, Spotify and Google and think, look, you've got deeper pockets than, you know, the bottom of the deep blue sea. So they could come up with new ideas and innovations, apply it to a very big mass market that does use their platforms and then get adoption and then apply that across other platforms to create a standard. So there is nothing that I think stops companies of that size and nature building out new tech and helping the whole industry in a I agree with that. I mean, with all the money these organizations have, they could advance the RSS standard far beyond where it is currently. Uh, but again, it does not seem to be in their business interest to do so. It doesn't seem to be the agenda they want. So that's up for us to do in the community, to do it ourselves and make new features possible in podcasting. It's a thought that I had about Apple and Spotify, but let me ask you first. Do you support Podping? Yes, we do. And Podping is essential to the live item tag, the way that it works. So an RSS feed is basically the center of truth for your podcast. All of your podcast information is available through your RSS feed. That doesn't have a notification component. So with a a live stream, we need to know in real time, this show is going live. Podping allows us to do that. So with our servers, we are set up to listen to Podping And whenever it sends a notification that this stream is going live, we then reparse the RSS feed and then send a notification to users and update it on our website and in our app. So, I mean, there's nothing stopping Apple, Spotify, Google, or any of the others supporting this or any of the other standards if they really wanted to. No, and it's unfortunate because it saves a lot of energy. What happens without Podping is we have all these servers parsing continuously, trying to find updates in RSS feeds. And it's a wasteful process, and it's something you can't do as quickly if you just have to guess, okay, let's check again. Is it, has it updated? Uh, Podping solves that problem, and it does it in a uh, open source, decentralized, it's public, so it's accessible to any app and SS hosts. Now, so far in our conversation, I've not heard of how you make money. Well, yeah, so since we won't add advertisements or sell your data, we have a premium model. We try to give away as many features as we can for free, but more advanced features like syncing your queue or your history or what is currently playing across all of your devices, features like that require our servers. And so we have to save data to our servers and that can be a costly part of the process. So we do have a premium option where people can sign up and pay $18 a year to get those features. Now that said, 
$18 a year to Americans may be very different than $18 a year to people all across the world. And we don't want to be exclusive. If people write us and say, hey, we'd love to use premium features, but this is just too much money. I mean, frankly, if we can verify a real person, we'd like to give you a free year of premium as well. Brilliant. Well done. Now, you're very deep into the understanding of podcasting, clearly. How do we fix some of the issues that still sit out there? There's 4.3 million, give or take whatever, a million, depending on which platform you talk to. Discovery is one of those challenges. Interactivity is another one of the challenges. How do you think we should overcome these problems? Interactivity can be uh, addressed with podcasting 2.0 standards like the value for value boostograms, which is the messages you can send with a donation. There's also in the works live chat options so that live chats can be within podcast apps in a decentralized way through the RSS feed. And uh, there's other ways too. For example, uh, you can render different your chapters to list what the content is at various points in the podcast, and you can make interactive links. So you can change the album artwork when a chapter is loaded, and you can make it an interactive link. So there are more options for podcasters for interactivity that they're looking for. If no one's ever used an app that is not Spotify or Apple, they're not going to be aware of these things, are they? So I guess it's beholden to the whole industry to try and make people more aware of it. Last question then, Mitch, what's the plan going forward for Podverse? Where do you see ourselves in the next year, two years? Well, the plan is to keep charging forward with podcasting 2.0 features. And hopefully we'll see more adoption of things like live stream from some major RSS hosts or soon to be major RSS hosts. Um, yeah, we're in a place right now where we're getting a lot of positive feedback from people. And I think we need to raise more awareness for what we're doing and continue to stabilize the app and add new features. You said one word there that made me think, raise. Will you raise a round of funding? Would you want to go out and raise a, a bigger round maybe of funding to try and accelerate your growth? Plans? We're open to raising funding. It just has to be in a way that fits within our principles. We're not driven by making as much money as possible. And that informs our design decisions to just focus on what is best for podcasters and listeners. It's not always the case that large investors are looking for that necessarily. They're looking for a return on their investment. Now, if investors are interested in this mission, we're certainly open to those conversations. But if not, we feel good about where we're at and the progress we're making. I actually think that we release new features faster than these large platforms. So we're comfortable with where we're at and we have seen a, a large uptick in our traffic and premium subscription in the past two months as uh, I've gone on some more podcasts and people have also helped raise awareness for us, people who we're doing and want it to be a bigger thing. So let's end up with them with Mitch. Where can they find Podverse? What's the sure. URL? Podverse.fm. And that is our website and you can download us on iOS, Android and F-Droid. Mitch. Thank you so much for your time. Great app, great product. Go out and use it. Go and try it. It is at the bleeding edge of where this stuff's going on. So congratulations to you and your team and your co-founders. Catch up with you soon, hopefully. All right. Thanks, Sam. Do you think we'll ever do a live show, Sam, in the future? Do you think we'll ever get lit? 
<laughs> no. Have you seen the number of times we've edited this so far? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. There was there was talk, wasn't there, about us doing uh, the show live at the podcast show in London, and uh, thankfully the organisers forgot about that. Is that because we sold no just... tickets? <laughs> <laughs> probably just as well. Yes. Uh, so there we go. Oh, we've got some quick news, haven't we? Already quick news. Gosh, yes. There's not even much going on, have there? Uh, Marco Arment, the developer of Overcast, he's a bit upset, isn't he? Yeah, he describes uh, dynamic ad insertion into podcasts as cheap, sloppy, and I don't even know how he talks, so I can't even do an impersonation of him, uh, as something that <laughs> continues to degrade the experience for listeners. Uh, he was, yeah, he was ranting in a tweet. Um, what do you think, James? You should listen to the ATP podcast. It's very good, and then you'll know exactly what he sounds like. But no, I'm not going to do an impersonation. Okay. Uh, I think the badly done, in, in the same way as everything, badly done dynamic ad insertion is bad. Um, well done dynamic insertion is good. Uh, f for example, I, I listen to a bunch of podcasts here in Australia, some done by Southern Cross Stereo by SCA, and they are awful at uh, dynamic ad insertion. I've no idea what system they end up using, um, but the levels are all over the place, and it's just a bad experience. Whereas Acast, uh, an email tells me, uh, is brilliant. Uh, it's, it's just everything works uh, and works very well, and they seem to fill the spots, and it just it just works well. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree that Marco is you know, um, is a little bit annoyed about some of the experience of DAI, but I, I would probably point to that not necessarily being a problem with DAI, it's a problem with some of the implementations of it. Yeah, I think he's more angry because end users come to him to say how bad the experience is, and he's going, it's not my fault, it's to do with the podcaster. So that's where I think he was getting angry about it. But he's right, you know, badly done is badly done, right? It doesn't matter whether it's audio, a DAI or video. So um, yeah, yeah. No, agreed. Now, uh, Reddit is start, I say it in that tone because Reddit is to start live audio talks, much like Twitter or Clubhouse. Do you use Reddit? Are you a, are you a Redditor, Sam? No, no, I... I, I, I oh, I haven't got the bandwidth. I'm a redditor. I enjoy. Uh, I enjoy it. It's quite sort of rough and tumble, um, but I very much enjoy it at the moment. Uh, in the Brisbane subreddit, which is always good for a read, uh, somebody took a photograph of a strange-looking fish in a creek not so far away from me, uh, and this has spawned lots of people posting things in the water, going, "What sort of fish is this that I've just seen in the creek?" <laughs> And it's very amusing. But yes, they are to start live audio talks. Ariel Nissenblatt, um, friend of the show, host of the show, uh, has uh, said. Um, the difference, though, uh, and I think this is interesting, is that instead of just being promoted to people who are your friends, it's being promoted to people that follow subreddits on the topic that your talk is about. So that could be millions of people. You know, if, if you're doing something which is about business, it will appear basically for anybody that's following any business subreddit at all um, and I think that's quite interesting and they are by the looks of things editorially curating um, these uh, these are things as well there's even a form to fill out if you're interested in uh, hosting them so um, you know maybe they might get them right but there again Nobody else has really got these things right so far, have they? Well, it goes back to, you know, what Mitch is doing with Lit and, and what the Podcast Index is doing, you know, live, live um, item tags and live 
podcasting has a space and, and whether it's Twitter spaces or Clubhouse or audio talks, clearly there is an audience demand for live broadcasting. But, you know, yeah. it's not for everyone. I, I think... Yeah, I think there is an audience demand, but it's a small audience demand. Um, Adam Curry sent us a boost this week. Thank you, Adam. 5,000 sats from CurioCaster. And he says, with the chat room and with Boostergrams, it's like having a studio Mm. audience. And he was saying in the Podcasting 2.0 podcast uh, this week that actually it's a programming decision, basically, to get that feedback rather than... a distribution one and i can kind of see that i i I think that that makes a bunch of sense so you know and certainly if you're the type of entertainer who would like an a studio audience then you can see that that would work uh, quite nicely so it'll be interesting to see you know whether reddit's um reddit talks uh, do as well stroke badly as Clubhouse or indeed uh, Twitter. That said, I listened to a very good uh, Twitter space uh, this this uh, morning, which was a you know one of these podcasting power hour things, and uh, you know and there were some interesting people on there, uh, including Kayla from Sounds Profitable, and she was um, talking uh, about uh, using YouTube Shorts, which apparently are the future. So. Um, I was taking notes. So, uh, yeah, well well worth, uh, you know, taking a peek at those sorts of things. And can I just point out, a strange-looking fish in Australia, really? I mean, the country that <laughs> has every weird animal. Yeah, I know, but at least it's not trying to kill you, uh, which is... Uh which is, uh, which is always a benefit. <laughs> uh, Message Heard has signed an audio partnership with the Kiev Independent, uh, which is interesting. They're Ukraine's biggest independent English language media outlet. Um, and that will focus on insider stories coming from within Ukraine, told by those at the centre of the conflict. Uh, it's a good uh, company to get involved with. So um, it'll be interesting to watch what comes out of that. Yeah, uh, I spoke to Jake a little bit about it. Uh, his father was in the military and he's doing some work with some uh, UK military guys as well so uh, some very interesting stuff to come out of that very soon Ah, very nice Uh, sports podcaster Blue Wire uh, they're the one that's based in uh, Las Vegas they have raised a further $2.5 million uh, but they say that they'll be profitable by next year, uh, which is nice. Kevin Jones, who's the company founder, says that um, they should be getting 124 million downloads this year. Now, so far, they've raised $11.4 million. So what does that mean? How much money are they getting per download? That would be an interesting uh, thing to work out. But uh, yeah, um, uh, that's um, quite a substantial amount of cash going into, um, into Blue Wire. But they seem to be um, doing things, which is nice. Yeah, so long as he doesn't put it all on red or black, he'll be fine. (laughs) Now, uh, Descript, uh, a product that I quite like, uh, launched Storyboard last night. Uh, They claim it's their biggest ever update. Uh, I watched the launch with uh, the team over there. Uh, They've got a redesign of Descript um, for video. So the focus here is very much on the video side of editing rather than the audio side of editing. Um, it looks very slick. I'm going to have to spend a little bit of time, I think, having to learn it. Um, in the same way that when Descript first came out with audio editing, uh, you know, you look at it, it has that wow, oh, isn't that easy? And then you realise, yeah, some of it's not as easy as it you think and you have to get under the hood. 
I think with the video thing they've done, it makes it look a little bit like a PowerPoint presentation, you know, putting it together, decks and slides and scripts, um, mm -hmm. and the transitions and the stock photography. You know, I, I'm sure that once you start to use it, you'll be able to create some stuff fairly quickly. And then you'll find like all these things, the Pareto rule, the 20% that you thought was easy. And then the 80% that actually is hard is underneath the hood. But I'll, I'll get my sleeves rolled up and try it. Yeah. Yes, excellent. Well, it sounds it sounds uh, interesting. It'll be uh, nice when they finally send me a press release. Uh, and then I'll be able to cover it. But uh, yeah, no, that's, that sounds really good. Uh, let's move on to the tech stuff and uh, AntennaPod, which is a really nice podcast player uh, for Android, for real phones. Uh, AntennaPod has just released version 2.6.1, which if you're a fan of this show, then you should be at least trying because they're now supporting podcasting 2.0 chapters. There's a number of other improvements under the hood. Um, I played around with it. It's a really nice polished um, uh, thing, but it's all open. And the nice thing about it is that it searches, when you search for a podcast, it searches three different podcast directories. Uh, so not just Apple or not just Podcast Index. It has a nice blended search um, and has uh, quite a few nice uh, features so it's really nice if you're a fan of good looking UX uh, it's probably worth giving that a go if you're an Android uh, antenna pod uh, which you'll find in uh, Google Play uh, and on the iPhone if you're a fan of fruit based phones then iOS 16 is going to add bigger podcast artwork on the lock screen Ooh, said everybody. <laughs> <laughs> said the short-sighted person. Are you, are you excited about bigger bigger podcast artwork on the lock screen there, well, Sam? as I get older, it'd be easy to read it. Yeah, that's about it. Um, maybe that's what's happened. <laughs> the, the interesting thing more, uh, I had a really good discussion about it, and this is probably slightly tangential, but Android versus iOS, is as governments start to dip into getting data out of tech companies, um, Apple are doubling down on privacy and locking a number of features into the phone that means governments can't snoop and pry on you. I do think there's going to be a bigger pushback, strangely, to iOS um, as a platform because, um, yes, yeah, certainly in America with states demanding data on uh, locations of people, Google, I think this week, yeah. has promised they will not provide the government with location data for women going to abortion centres. Yeah, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they got no choice if they need to um, abide by US law. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what mm. happens there. I have to say, you know, um, although I love my Pixel uh, phone, uh, my Pixel Pro phone, it's got a very good camera on it and everything else. I am finding myself more and more eyeing up um, uh, iPhones. And um, and I think partially that's because I'm really enjoying having an iPad, having an iPad Mini 6, which is my relaxation tool of choice. And, um, and I'm there going, yeah, I wonder if I should, wonder if I should try, the, try the dark side, try a toy phone for a little bit. Um, but uh, I, I can just, can you just imagine what Zach from uh, Apple PR <laughs> is thinking now? <laughs> I must tell Tim Apple. He's, he's rubbing his hands. <laughs> anyway, um, moving on. Uh, podcast hosting company Disctopia yes. has launched a video podcast hosting. Hooray! Um, yes, more video podcasting, uh, this time on the Disctopia platform. Um, they'll, uh, uh, if you uh, are a video podcaster on there, then uh, you'll also be able to use their deep reporting and uh, analytics, something that they call True Play, uh, which is very cool. And Eddie, uh, which is kind of a Descript uh, competitor 
from Headliner. Um, they are also letting you edit video as well. Um, they've uh, released a big uh, upgrade to it uh, this week, which makes it also faster and more stable, according to the company. Booster, booster, boostergram, boostergram, boostergram corner. You can't get more top 40 than that. Now it's that time again, indeed. Uh, Boostergram Corner. Last week, uh, a new all-time record was set for the largest boost on Fountain. Uh, somebody, wow, sent a 1.7 million sats or $218 at today's Bitcoin price. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a thing. $218 as a, uh, don't use the word tip because Adam Curry will hate it, uh, but as a bit of value uh, back. Do we know uh, who uh, JLTATX uh, sent that to? We don't, do we really? Uh, they're just in, in the leaderboard uh, um. on uh, Fountain. Fountain Baller Boosts. But uh, $218 is, is a good, good old... Oh, we do, uh, because the artwork is for that particular show. Yes, it is. It's Mo Facts with Adam Curry, and the reason why I couldn't find it is that uh, they've spelled the word facts incorrectly. <laughs> Uh, moving on, uh, our own uh, our own uh, boostergrams. Um, we had uh, a nice first, uh, a very nice, polite uh, boost from Bisaya podcast, haven't we? There, Sam. Yeah, it says Sam and James of Podland are one of my favourite interviews with experts. I love how they highlight even the most intricate detail and make it digestible for their listeners. I always appreciate their level of expertise and the quality of information. Because of Podland, I'm using the Fountain app to support other podcasts. Thank you and well done. Thanks. That's a very nice thing. Uh, loving the show, Steve. Uh, that's a very nice thing. So thank you for that. Also, Moaz uh, for sending us uh, six sats. Well, you know, it's uh, every little sat matters. Uh, and he says nice with a thumbs up. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, Adam uh, has sent us uh, a number of different uh, sats. This is Adam Curry, of course. 2,222 sats from uh, Fountain, all the twos. Uh, and he says, you can't do fractional money with fiat. Talking about uh, cryptocurrencies and currency. It's also not programmable. App developers also need to participate in value for value. Well, I would agree with app developers participating. I think you can do fractional money with fiat. And I think the fiat is programmable. Um, it's certainly programmable in, the, in this country. Um, where most of the banks have uh, full APIs which are open and you can do fantastic things with it. In terms of fractional uh, micropayments, uh, yeah, kind of. But there again, if you put, you know, $5 in a, in a box somewhere, uh, then you can produce fractional uh, amounts of that, uh, which you can then send, um, you know, on a, on a weekly or monthly basis. So, um, yeah, I'm not so sure, but I, I kind of understand where you're coming from. So, Adam, thank you for that. And also for your bigger boosts of 20,000 sats boosting for Fountain from CurioCaster. Thank you. Uh, and another 5,000 uh, sat. So uh, thank you. We do uh, appreciate that. And I'm lo looking forward to meeting Adam Curry face-to-face -face in um, Dallas. Uh, coming up next month. Uh, Mary Oscar sent us a boost as well, I think, Sam. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Sam. It was my pleasure, Mary. Uh, great product, uh, doing great things with it. So I uh, really enjoyed the interview. Mm. 
And Dave Jones uh, sent us a big rush boost. Good interviews this week. Ariel did a good job. She did an excellent job. I have lots of questions on the sample size of the creator's study, particularly the female-male ratio just doesn't seem to pass the smell test. And uh, Dave was saying something <laughs> similar uh, on the pod, on the on the Podcasting 2.0 podcast uh, this week. Um, that's probably one for Tom Webster, I'll tell you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was uh, not necessarily particularly um, surprised by the female-male ratio. I think I was a bit more surprised by seeing that podcast creators are just as diverse, if not more so, than the rest of the um uh, than the normal US uh, uh, audience. Um, I found that quite interesting. And I'm not quite sure, you know, that goes against what we've been told in the past. So um, I think it'll be really interesting seeing it's going to be an annual thing. So I think it'll be really interesting seeing um, the creators uh, data from next year to see whether there's wild changes or whether it says much the same sort of thing. Uh, Dave, uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Now, an interesting question that I'm not sure I have the answer to, but you might, James. Um, boosting in advance to see if you know the answer or can find out. I realised Apple's new proxy doesn't allow listeners to see more than 2,000 episodes in a feed if they subscribe slash follow. Is this a bug or on purpose because it will change my strategy? This seems to be affecting Overcast as well. Thanks from uh, Justin at Optimal Living Daily. Yeah, I don't know about Overcast, but I do know about Apple Podcasts um, because I can tell you exactly when they relaxed it. Um, back in March of 2021, they used to have a 300 episode limit in Apple Podcasts. And they relaxed that to 2,000 episodes. It's the latest 2,000 episodes. And they rolled that out, whatever the beta version of iOS was, uh, back in March 2021. Uh, so, uh, yes, uh, 2,000 is a feature, or at least it's as designed and not, um, and not a bug. Um, I would, uh, personally, I would use uh, paging in your RSS, um, but uh, also, you know, I do know that uh, quite a few people are putting additional shows, you know, old shows onto an archive on their website and only listing the last 2,000 or so. Um, I think I list 500, I think, but anyway, um, listing those in your uh, RSS feed. So I hope that helps, uh, Justin, but yes, I was uh, curious myself, so did did a little bit of research. Look at that. It's, uh, it's very unlike me. Uh, Dan B has sent us 100 sats. Thank you. If this works, then shout out to Oscar at Fountain. Been meaning to give this a try for a while, but couldn't be asked. Oh, look, you're testing the bleeper again. Funding a crypto wallet, so the pay to listen is a nice, easy way to onboard. And that's from Dan from Beyond the Podcast. Dan, thank you. Yes, uh, I think streaming sats is really quite interesting and it's something that I'm uh, working to get a little bit more visible in the Helipad app so uh, thanks for that and we've got two more uh, we've got lots of, of these haven't we it's almost as if I've been on holiday for the last two weeks <laughs> yeah me, uh, we've got one from uh, uh, Kyron at Mere Mortals I'm not sure I'd bother with playlists for your show on YT James that's uh, YouTube yeah yeah uh, we've been doing this since day dot and the amount of views driven from there is really quite small I'd be interested if you'd be able to automate that, though. Yeah, well, um, I'd be interested to see if I if I can be bothered. Uh, but, uh, Kyrin, thank you. Yes, I'm not I'm not sure I'd bother doing 
playlists personally, but you might find that useful for the large amount of podcasts that you end up doing. Well, I think, James, I think you were, you were talking about, you know, uh, YouTube shorts, and I think looking at the amount of platforms that we've talked about this week that are beginning to support videos such as Podverse, uh, Eddie, Descript, tools that are coming out that are going to make it easier. Um, it does feel like we're, you know, building up to a, a movement towards more video because the ability to create them, even if it's just snippets from shows. In fact, if you look at TikTok with the adoption of a, a lot of video in there, a lot of the podcasters that I see in TikTok are taking the uh, talking heads like we have here and taking just a, a two minute snippet and they're using that as audiograms or videograms to push out to endpoints uh, and that may well drive better traffic engagement rather than the whole show yeah i think so uh, you know kayla was saying much the same sort of thing in the twitter spaces that i was listening to and was basically saying you know that actually she was getting tremendous uh, views uh, from uh, some of the youtube shorts that she was doing so um yeah so maybe youtube are prioritizing youtube shorts i think there's some research out today saying that young people are using TikTok more than they are YouTube, which is uh, quite a thing. So, um, yeah, so certainly worthwhile keeping an eye on. Um, and finally, uh, Mike, uh, Mike McCallan from the podcastingforassociations.com. He says, I enjoy the podcast. I'm sorry I'm not sending more sats. Still trying to figure out how to add them to my fountain app. I'm not the clearest mic in the studio, so to speak. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for uh, doing that. I see what you did there. Um, and uh, we appreciate uh, any sats. So that's uh, very kind of you. And uh, thank you very much. Now, on next week's show, one of our guests is going to be uh, Moritz, who's the CEO and co-founder of Olby. Um, I can't tell you too much until next week, but we will be talking about the new API that they're bringing out and uh, one very lucky partner that they're going to use it with. So it looks like, you know, that next hurdle, Mike, that you're struggling with, which is how to work out how to get a wallet and how to put sats in it. Um, hopefully, Morris is going to tell us next week that that hurdle now has become much lower. So it's going to be easier for you to have a wallet add fiat currency to it and uh, start boosting listen to you throwing forward uh, i'm most impressed it's almost as if you've done this before um <laughs> a few events coming up aren't there uh, there's the british podcast awards which i think you're going to in kennington in london uh, on the 23rd of july yeah i've taken out my mortgage uh, 90 pound a ticket yep i've go i'm going though <laughs> well you know Matt needs to uh, Matt needs to get his money somehow. Well, now he's married, he does. There's, yep. <laughs> <laughs> there's also Podfest um, in Berlin. Yes, not that Podfest. Uh, that's on July the 16th in uh, Germany, of course. Podcast Movement in Dallas, in Texas, which I'm going to, August the 23rd to the 20-somethingth. Um, very much uh, looking forward to being on the Podcast Academy stand um, uh, booth, I should say, um, which uh, I'm looking forward to doing for two whole hours straight uh, so that's going to be fun and i'm also taking part in a live new media show uh, at the event as well watch out for the postcard in your podcast movement goodie bag uh, to find out more about that uh, there's also radio days asia in september uh, in Kuala Lumpur, uh, which is worthwhile going to, and a bunch of others, aren't there, uh, Sam? Yeah, International Women Podcast Awards are coming up here in London on September the 29th. 
tickets are available you can attend in person and there is also a virtual stream as well uh, there's podcast day 24 which is happening in sydney in london and new york uh, which is giving me uh, slight stress at the moment uh, they stroke we have announced our first speakers uh, and that's on october the 4th uh, and uh, finally the london comedy podcast festival called cheerful earful uh, is on in south london south london mate uh, 6th to the 9th of october and uh, lots of podcasts taking part including um, comfort blanket which i'm a big fan of from joel morris which is a wonderful warm podcast which everybody should go and have a listen to and richard herring's rahalistapa um, so uh, some great podcasts worthwhile uh, taking a peek at uh, I think they're at cheerfulearful.co.uk uh, or something similar but if not you'll find it all at uh, the Pod News website yeah I will be going to that one and if you want to find more events do check out pod.events on James's website yes I hear it's very good uh, lots of uh, new people at uh, Acast uh, in uh, the UK and Ireland. Uh, there's new uh, business directors and directors of sales and stuff. Josh Woodhouse is the regional managing director. Um, he had actually been doing that job for a bit um, after they lost their previous managing director to go to ACAST US. Uh, so it's good to see that uh, Josh will be uh, the person sending the emails from uh, ACAST uh, in the UK and Ireland uh, in future. Uh, how to make friends, James, and influence people. Uh, and also, uh, Spotify has lost one of their 4,287 uh, PR people. Uh, Kevin Turner uh, used to be Spotify's global head of podcast communications, and he has just started at Linktree as VP of communications. Um, so uh, Kevin is a, a bit of a loss for podcasting, really. He's worked for Spotify and Gimlet for six years now, but Linktree are kind of getting into podcasting, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what uh, Kevin ends up uh, doing. So mm. what's happening for you this week in Podland, Sam? Well, apart from uh, meeting you and your lovely family uh, in Marley, which mm. we did. Uh, yes, so thanks. that's very nice, and a cup of tea and, uh, and, and a cake. Indeed. I think. I, yes. Um, we didn't splash out too much, but it was lovely to meet them both. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I got one of those uh, odd awards. I, I, I've been made one of the top 100 Asians in tech in the UK. God knows what I'll do with it, and God knows where I'll put it. But there you go. I got one of those this week. Very nice. Yeah, no idea why. Um, and then the other one was, uh, and more importantly, my, my eldest daughter graduated from university, so we had the graduation ceremony. Ah, excellent. What was, uh, what was she reading? Is that, is that what, you, what you asked? The uh, I didn't know what to do degree. Books is clearly the answer. Yeah. It's it's the I didn't know what to do degree. Mum and Dad, what did you do? I'll do that then. That's fine. Um, so yeah, she's qualified in business and marketing. So well done, Sophia. And uh, yeah, oh, strangely, within a week she got her first job. So uh, oh. that fifty thousand pound debt can start to be paid oh, off soon. Um, well, as long as she just just eats pot noodles for the next year, then then she should be fine. I had good fun uh, uh, being interviewed by Courtney Kosak, um, who uh, interviewed me for her newsletter, Podcast Bestie, which uh, one person on Twitter called Podcast Beastie, which I rather like better. Uh, but anyway, um, I uh, gave some uh, ideas around, uh, you know, making sure that you call your podcast a sensible name. Uh, and uh, I also uh, witted on about indie podcasters. Please don't join that gang. Uh, you'll find it linked anyway in our show notes. Um, so uh, go and take a peek at that. Uh, and uh, yes, and apart from that, I've just been doing 
Um, I've been trying to get over the jet lag uh, since coming back from the UK. It's really hit us as a family, and I think it's probably I get used to jet lag, and so I just power on through. But uh, the rest of the family, gosh, they'd be very sleepy. Yeah. I'll tell you. But still, but there we are. Uh, that's it for this week. If you like Podland, tell others to visit. Tell your friends on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Weibo. Indeed, Weibo. Wow. Um, you can also email comments at podland.news or send us boostergrams, which we prefer. You'll also find all our previous shows and interviews on our website at podland.news. Yes, and uh, if you want daily news, you should get Pod News. The newsletter's free at podnews.net. The podcast can be found in your podcast app. If you're into ad tech and advertising and all that kind of stuff, then soundsprofitable.com is also very good. All the stories we've discussed on Podland today are in the show notes. We use chapters and transcripts too. Our music is from Ignite Jingles, and we're hosted and sponsored by our good friends Buzzsprout and Squadcast. Keep listening. Keep listening.